Over the past few decades, there has been a dramatic rise in the nuns, those who mark none for religious affiliation. Many in this category, while not traditional churchgoers, still describe themselves as spiritual. They seem to sense that there is more to life than the world around them gives to offer. Career, family, success, but they don't know where to look to find it. Though this demographic is currently on the rise, it's not a new group. Paul addressed a similar crowd in Athens. He said, how, I see how extremely religious you are in every way, for he found there an altar to an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, he said, this I proclaim to you. What Paul proclaimed is echoed in the gospel reading from John. There Jesus issues an invitation for all seekers to enter into the inner life of the Trinity and experience the blessings of the Son's commands, the Spirit's presence, and the Father's love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. On first glance, this may not seem like a blessing. It can even sound like an additional burden. If you love me, here's what I expect you to do. Now it's true, Jesus does want us to follow his teaching, and he has every right to expect that his followers will do just that. But if we, ex if we focus exclusively on that, we miss the fact that this is actually the exciting fulfillment of a very old promise. It goes all the way back to the language of the Old Covenant, where God says he will show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The only problem was his people could not keep his commandments. Listen to it again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, Jesus is pointing to the long-awaited new covenant when his people will be able to love as we were meant to love, to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And this doesn't make God's love depend on our obedience. After all, he doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. But rather, our love will want to and will be able to express itself in obedience. One of the most common metaphors the Bible uses for our relationship with God is a parent-child relationship. Parents rightly expect obedience from their children, not because they are tyrants who get to dictate an arbitrary law, but because they want what is best for their kids, to protect them from harm and help them flourish in life. And God has given them to children to mediate his just law to them while they still need guidance. The tragedy of disobedience is not that a parent's will is thwarted, though I admit that is frustrating, <laughs> but that children are missing out on an opportunity to grow into their full potential in Christ. And the same is true in the life of faith. If we love God, we should see in our own life a growing obedience to Jesus' teaching which is an expression of his parental love and care for his children. Jesus goes on to say, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Why does he say another advocate? The reason is that Jesus 
is himself our first advocate. In the first letter of John, it says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is our advocate with the Father, pleading our case before the Father. The other advocate Jesus mentions is the Holy Spirit. But instead of being our advocate with the Father, the Spirit is the Father's advocate with us, pleading the Father's case to us. Think about what the Spirit does in our lives. The Spirit testifies to us about Jesus and the truth of his word. A little further on in this passage, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Spirit also empowers us to fulfill the law by loving and obeying Jesus. At one of the climaxes of the letter of Paul to the Romans, Paul rejoices that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And the Spirit also confirms the otherwise unbelievable truth of our intimate relationship with God. As Paul goes on to say, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are not orphaned, as Jesus says, but rather we cry out through the Spirit, Abba, Father. The Spirit is the Father's advocate with us, the Father's gift of guidance and power and assurance. Those who love Jesus will not only keep his commandments and experience the presence of the Spirit, they will also find themselves drawn into the inner life of the Trinity. You might want to stretch for this point. It works through participation. Notice how Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. Through faith, we participate in Jesus' death and resurrection. Or as Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our new life in Christ takes on the shape of his life, giving himself so that others might live. And since this is not only the shape of Jesus' earthly life, but the very nature of God, as Christ lives in us, we experience and participate in the divine life. In other words, Jesus is calling us to enter into the life, the inner life of the Trinity. We expect him to say things like, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. But listen to his shocking words in this passage. I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. It is an invitation to participate in the inner life of God. And what we gain through that relationship is the source and goal of all our desire, all our seeking, the Father's affirmation and love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. If you love me, you will be loved by my Father. The question Jesus poses to each of us through this passage is quite simply, do you love me? For searching nuns outside the church and wrestling hearts within, 
the answer is plain. Yes, we love you because you first loved us.